You remember that we've spent some time uh, laying the groundwork Sunday morning, if you were not here, spent some time laying the groundwork Sunday morning about the reality of uh, the glory that is ours in humility. Maybe backwards of what we tend to think of, but the glory that is ours, the, the, if you want to put it this way, the, the high position we occupy when we humble ourselves. The, the exaltation that is waiting for us, and we haven't dug into that a whole lot yet, but we're going to get there a little bit at some point. I don't know for sure when. But the exaltation that's waiting for us if we're willing to humble ourselves before God. Jesus, we recognized last night, Jesus taught that, right? If you will exalt yourself, you will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. Last night, we spent the time uh, taking a, a little deeper look at the, at the role that humility played or how we see humility in the life of Jesus and in the teaching of Jesus and primarily in the redemption of Jesus. Um, and, I, and I told you at the end of last night, so I'll just remind you at the beginning of tonight, I told you at the end of last night that uh, we were at a, a bit of a hinge point because we're going to spend time talking tonight. You see the subtitle for my message tonight is Humility in Daily Life. What does it look like for humility to work itself out in our daily lives? Uh, Lord willing, as far as I know, we're going to talk about humility and holiness tomorrow night. And then we're going to talk about humility and death to self on Wednesday night. Now, it's always at uh, the Holy Spirit's discretion to change those things, so don't hold me to those things. But at least at this point, that's where my intention is that we will go. I don't know if it comforts you or if it scares you. None of those things are fully developed yet. So tomorrow I'll sit down and we'll talk about, uh, we'll, we'll, I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll put out what, what we think was going to come tomorrow night and the next day the same. So just so you know, um, I don't have it all s- structured out. That's not, how, how, that's not how I like to work anyway. It's not how I think the Lord wants me to work. So I think that's where we're going to go. And there's some difficult stuff coming. Because it's great to talk, and you hear me say things like this all the time, but it's great to talk about the theoretical kinds of things or to nail our theology down. This is who God is. This is how we see humility in Jesus, and isn't it so wonderful? It's entirely different to say, but the Scripture exhortation is that we might receive Jesus' teachings and we might, in fact, have this mind. We, I'm jumping ahead in the text here, but have the mind that Christ Jesus himself had. So we hit a little hinge point. I'm reminded, I was reminded tonight as we were praying, it's a little bit like when Jesus comes to Mary and Martha, when their brother Lazarus has passed away. And they are lamenting, Jesus, if you would have been here, you could have healed him. And they were, of course, perfectly correct that he could have done that. Um, interestingly, if you read the account in John chapter 11, Jesus loves them it says, it says it like directly. Jesus loves them and then decides to stay away for another couple days, which is always a bit perplexing unless you see God moving in ways that we don't always understand. Anyway, when Jesus is having these conversations, he begins to reveal who he is and he says wonderful things like, I am the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, though you die, you'll never die. But at the end of that, he comes to the, the all-important place. Because as he looks at Martha, he says, do you believe that? Do you actually believe that? So, so far, yesterday, in the morning service and in the evening service, I proposed to you all that it was actually your highest calling to humble yourself to the lowest place. That it was actually the greatest fulfillment of who you could be as God's creation 
as a recognition of your sinfulness and especially as your reception of the redemption that came through Jesus Christ, that you would also empty yourself and lower yourself and put yourself in the position of a servant. So I must ask you the same question. Do you actually believe that? Do you actually buy that? Are you actually in favor of that? Do you actually want to pursue that? Because that's where the rub's going to come in. We'll talk about humility in daily life tonight. And like I said, some of the things we'll maybe get to in the next couple of days. And we'll be faced with the question, do I believe that? Is that really what comes like rubber meets the road deep inside of me? Not just out of my mouth because I'm sitting in church. Not just moving my head because I'm sitting in church. Not just putting forth the front because I'm, I, I like people to think well of me and that's what I've been taught to do. Not just carrying cultural markers that are supposed to put on display. Not just carrying a banner that my parents gave to me because that's what I should do. But do I actually believe that enough to take my, allow the Holy Spirit of God to take me to that same place of emptiness? Of making me nothing so that he might be everything. Well, if you're not already there, turn to Philippians chapter 2. It's a long introduction. I shouldn't take so long to get introduced to things because then we have, we're behind the eight ball with all the stuff we want to get through tonight. Philippians chapter 2, we're going to read the same verses we've been reading. It is my trust. Perhaps you've been a little shaking your head or scratching your head. Your head, I should say, because we've read this verse and have not actually spent a ton of time in these passages, uh, in these verses here. But it is my, uh, my, my trust in the ability of the Holy Spirit to use the Word of God that if I will just read it to you, He can make applications even though it doesn't come out of my mouth. So, in chapter 2, Paul writes this. So, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy. Like he already has some joy, but complete it. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. And if you were wondering what he meant by that, here's where the next verse comes in. This is what he means. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind what he's just talked about, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Or again, depending on what translation you're reading, which was also in Christ Jesus. Who, Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let me pause just for a moment to get this thought in before we go on. You know the ultimate fulfillment of Jesus' words that if you will not humble yourself, you will be humbled is actually found in those last verses I just read to you. The ultimate form of that 
If you refuse to humble yourself, which is to say you, that you're going to exalt yourself. You see, you may not think that you're exalting yourself by like, like saying, I'm the, I'm the best or the coolest or like, I'm so great. You may not be doing that, but if you will not humble yourself, you are exalting yourself. And the ultimate fulfillment of that is found in these verses right here, which tell you unequivocally, without a doubt, you can take it to the bank. Someday you will bow your knee and declare that Jesus is Lord. That's called being humbled. So if you won't do it now, it'll happen sometime. Now, if you don't think there's such a strong connection, there are two times in the, in the Gospels where Jesus marvels at someone's faith. There are two times. Now, I, maybe if I would have spent more time with this, I could have found another example. So you might be able to find somewhere else and point at it and say, hey, look, there's another one. There are two times that I'm aware of at this point that Jesus marveled at someone's faith. Ironically, you will appreciate this, or maybe you won't. Maybe it'll step on our toes a little too much. Ironically, both of them are people who are not Jews. So if you want to like, translate that into our situation today, you're not pointing fingers at Jewish people. You're pointing fingers at people who call themselves Christians. That ironically, the ones that displayed the, that Jesus marveled at the faith were not those who should have had faith. The first story is the guy, uh, the centurion. I'm going to flip there. I just want to read the stories for you. I'll highlight a couple of verses. But uh, this one's in Matthew chapter 8. If you want to flip in your Bibles to follow along, I'm going to read just a section of verses to get us the story here. It's the centurion that comes to Jesus. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 5, we read this. When he, Jesus, had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward. He's a Roman soldier. A centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. Verse 10, when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly, truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from the east and the west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. Now, I've often looked at this story, and I think in some measure, rightfully so, that the centurion, the, 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 the key piece there was the centurion understood authority, and I still stand by that, that the centurion understood authority, and that was a part of it. But I think there's a layer deeper than that, because actually what it says before, we get to the part where it says, he says, I understand authority. When I say go, they go. When I say come, they come. When I say do this, they do this. What he says before that is when Jesus says, I'm going to come into your home and I'm going to heal your servant, what does he say? Lord, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. I don't deserve you to come. How is it that so many Christians miss the power and majesty of Jesus that many people who are not yet believers see just like that? I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. And Jesus marveled. And what did he say? He said, wow, you're so humble. No. He says, I've 
yet to see faith like that among all these people who should know better. That's my paraphrase. But he did say, I've not seen faith like that in all of Israel. I've not seen faith, belief. I've not seen a faith like that. So he linked that humility and that faith together just like this. And he looked at him and he said, truly, I've not found faith like this in Israel. Go, it'll be done as you have wished. That's example number one. The second time that we see Jesus displaying uh, a, a marveling, I don't think it uses the exact word marveling, but, but he displays uh, uh, that is great faith. He declares that there's great faith there. Is all, I'm going to read the account also from Matthew. It's in Matthew chapter 15, if you want to follow along. This time it's the Canaanite woman. Matthew chapter 15, verse 21. Again, I just want to read the verses for you. I'm going to let you know I'm reading it right out of the Bible. I'm, I'm not trying to take things uh, and just sort of make points that I want to make. In Matthew 15, verse 21, it says, Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman came from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she's crying out after us. She's bugging us. She's bothering us. We can't stand it. Verse 24, he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came, the woman, came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And Jesus answered to her, oh, or said, answered her, oh, woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. I don't know about you. Have you ever, like, found yourself scratching your head a little bit in this little interchange with Jesus? Like, the Jesus that we all think we know doesn't seem like that kind of guy right here, right? I mean, he looks at her and calls her a dog. That's not really that nice. I still don't claim to understand all of it. But what I can tell you tonight is even in the face of being reminded that she was a nobody. She was a nobody in God's eyes, according to everything that had been known about who God was. She was a nobody. She looked at him and said, yes, but even the dogs get to eat the crumbs from their master's table. She displayed a great humility, didn't she? How many of us would be offended by that? How many of us would say, you can't talk to me like that? Fine, I don't want you anyway. How many of us would have hardened our heart when pointed out with truthful reality about who we are? How many of us do harden our heart when pointed out about a truthful reality about what we were like? And she just said, I mean, in a sense, she said, you're right. That's who I am, and I deserve nothing. But surely... Surely even the dogs get to eat the crumbs. The stuff that's like left over on the floor and nobody's not fit for anyone to eat anymore. Surely they get to eat those. And Jesus turns to that and he says, woman, great is your faith. He again connected her humility with her faith. He connected her belief. He connected his belief, the centurion's belief, with his humility. I would suggest to us we ought to be very, very careful to not disconnect those things and maintain somehow that we can have great faith without humility. 
that we can be people of great faith and declare great things that God is going to do in our lives and the lives of those around us and not display humility because I don't think they can go together. I'm sorry, I don't think they can be separated. I, I think they must go together. I think I said that backwards. Make sure it comes out right. Once again, my mind travels in this context to Paul's opening letter to the Corinthians. He says some things that I think fit. He connects some things that I think fit. We could read the, most of the chapter of chapter 1 of Corinthians, but I want to read just parts of the last, parts of, the last part of chapter 1. So I want to start in verse 20. I'm going to read a longer section. So if you want to, excuse me, follow along. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. I want you to be looking for the interplay between humility and faith and belief. Verse 22. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, because of God, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. We could spend an entire evening of messages on that text, and we don't, we don't have time to. We don't, it, it's not the point of the message. There's so much here that we could be dug into. I simply want to reinforce to you that Paul did exactly what Jesus was doing. He connected together that God didn't go to the wisdom of the world or the power of the world or the, 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 the debaters or the, those that were, had everything together and say, now they're the ones that are going to figure things out. He said, I will bring to you the low and the humble and the things that aren't the things that confuse, and the things that seem the opposite, and I will humble all those things that are high and lifted up according to the world and according to the fleshly estimation. And I will do that so that when you receive Jesus, you must, you have no choice but to say, that's not me, that's God. That's not me, that's God. I don't understand it. Why would he do a cross why would, why would there death and suffering be involved? Why would the king be a servant? Why would he humble himself like that? Why would he not demand his rights? Why would he not cry out, you're all wrong. I've done nothing wrong. I've followed my father in every way because he did. I've not committed a single sin because he hasn't. And we don't understand any of that. But through that comes our redemption and our salvation and our wisdom and our righteousness so that we, if we're going to boast, are going to say, God has done these wonderful things. You see, our faith is connected to our humility. The understanding or the reception of faith. In this verse, again, these verses, Paul is also making the point 
that if we think that we're going to be like, we have it figured out, we're going to miss faith. We're not going to understand it. You can look at the world around you and see how true that is. <laughs> There's no way Jesus is who he says he was. Look what happened to him. Look what they did to him. There's no way a faith would humble itself. That's ridiculous. Who would ever teach that if you get something taken from you, you shouldn't fight that. You should just say, here, I have something else. You can have that too. That's, that's lunacy, right? So if we think we're going to figure it out, you know, we can look out there, but if we think we're going to figure it out, I think we're going to miss the true living faith that God wants us to have to let his power work in us like he wants to do. Well, I've made a long point about that because I want to move into some more practical things. But we have to begin with that foundation because we don't do anything unless we are truly convinced. That's what faith is, right? We sang about it tonight. I am persuaded. That's the word pistis is persuasion. I am persuaded uh, in, in the New Testament. It's my faith. I am persuaded that Jesus is the way. He's the answer. So what about humility and each other? Well, how about we begin with this dandy quote from Andrew Murray. It is a solemn thought, he writes, that our love for God is measured by our everyday relationships, relationship with others. Our everyday relationships with others. I should read it right. Read that again since I kind of bumbled it. It is a solemn thought that our love for God is measured by our everyday relationships with others. He goes on to say, the very next sentence, Except as its validity is proven in standing the test of daily life with our fellow men, our love for God may be found to be a delusion. Do you understand what he's saying? You understand what he's saying? Someone translate that for me real quick. Again, I don't like talking to people, and I, and I realize I'm not asking questions, but like, what's he, what, translate that for us. What's he saying? You can't claim to love, I think actually that's scripture, right? You can't claim to love God if you don't love people around you. Ouch. And you might say to me, hold on, you, you, you did the old bait and switch, you switched around, now you're talking about love. And we're talking about humility here. What's that got to do with humility? I'm glad you asked. You know that famous chapter in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that's all about love? Have you ever paid attention to the words that it says love is? And look at the humility words in there. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. I would submit to you there's not a single word in that list that has, that's like divorced from humility. Every one of those is dependent on humility. Not a single one of these will be present in our lives absent of humility. It is exactly... Now, hold on. Maybe I'm getting too... It is exactly why we are not kind to people, why we are impatient with people, why we get irritated with them, why we get resentful with them, why we are arrogant or rude towards them, why we are envious or we boast about things. It is precisely why, because pride is here inside of us, which is the opposite of humility. I would contend with you that you cannot talk about love, agape, biblical love, without talking about humility. Because that is precisely what love is, is a laying down of yourself for other people, which is exactly what humility is, is how, it's, how it comes out in form. Thus making the quote I just read to you exactly right. 
You cannot claim, I cannot claim, none of us can claim to love God if we do not love other people. He goes so far as to say, if it's not borne out in your daily interactions with those around you, how you love them, then he used the word, not me, then your love for God might be proven to be delusion, a delusion, not actually there. You're kidding yourself and you're kidding everyone else around you. Ouch. Yeah, I, 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 I can't get more practical than that. I can't get more practical than that. Like, maybe there's specific examples I could give, but I don't have to, because I can't get more. This is the life you live every day with the people in your home, the job, the place you work at, all the interactions you have on a daily recurring basis, and you know as well as I do the most difficult places are the ones that you, the people you spend the most time with. I can't get more practical. You want to talk about humility? Where else can it show up except in our homes, first of all? Husband and wife, first of all. Mom, dad, children, first of all. Children with each other, first of all. You can't, you can't, <laughs> don't talk about it out there yet. It's gotta, it's gotta start here. If it's not real there, then shall we do what Andrew Marie did and say your love for God is a delusion? <laughs> you know, that this subject is so important in Scripture is so obvious because in every, almost every letter that Paul writes, I think about every letter he writes to the churches, he spends time talking about this. Now, he picks up different specific themes about it, so I'll put them up here, but, he, but he's always talking about the same thing. And this really comes, I'm not going to take a lot of time with this because just last week, I read to you a whole bunch of verses that all use the word one another. And you notice I use the same word. By the way, I didn't, I didn't read that list to you last Sunday because I was chastising you and saying the things that you were not doing. I read that as a list to exhort us from Scripture of what the church is to do. That's who we are to be. I was confirming that's what I want to do with you and what I'm asking of you to do with each other continually. To the Romans, Paul chose to focus on this word, honor one another. Spends almost all of chapter 12 talking about various ways of honoring people. Honor one another. To the Galatians, he said, we should serve one another. Galatians chapter 5. To the Ephesians, he said, we should submit to one another. To the Colossians, he said, you should forgive one another. All of these are different angles of looking at the same thing. Because in humility, we love people. The measurement of our love for God is demonstrated in our everyday love for those around us, and that comes out in these kinds of ways. In fact, Paul suggested in Romans that we should outdo one another in showing honor to each other. Like when someone shows honor, that you should try to do it back and even, even more so, like honor them. Make the way for them. Prefer them. In Galatians, he's talking about freedom. He spent the entire letter building up to this like, Jesus sets you free. Why would you go back into bondage? And then he drops the hammer down and says, by the way, you are set free, but your freedom isn't so you can do what you want to. Your freedom is so you can serve each other in love. In Ephesians, again, he spends time talking about the glorious things that Jesus has done and, and the, the marvelous ways God is working through the church and doing in the church. And he starts listing out what that's supposed to look like. And he comes to the conclusion of this. You should submit to one another. That's really easy, right? 
One little chuckle. That's really easy, right? No, that's terribly difficult. I happen to have like this flesh inside of me that wants to get what I want to get. I suspect you're no different. The Colossians, he says, by the way, you should be just like Jesus. He gave, he forgave you. So just like Jesus forgave you when people do something wrong against you, when people, have, when you, you have to bear with each other in love and if, they, if you need any, any need for forgiveness, then do it gladly. Have the humility to forgive them. You know, forgiveness takes a lot of humility. It takes a ton of humility. I would argue to you it's about all, all about humility, actually. Because it's saying, I don't have to get what I, what's owed to me. I don't have to get what's owed to me. You hurt me, you did something, you wronged me, you, you offended me, you sinned against me, and I could demand payment, but out of humility, I'm going to recognize that I, don't, I can forego that. I can pay that for you. Or, for tonight, I, you notice I skipped one of the letters. I, read, I skipped the letter of Philippians because that's what we've been reading out of, and I already read these verses to you. But let me remind you of them. In Philippians chapter 2, it comes out like this. Do nothing do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Do you, do you, do you again, I, I can't say it, and I can't trot out every single example for you in your life, but I know that the Holy Spirit is doing exactly that for you. I, I, I cannot get more practical in what I'm telling you. Like these verses find reality in the life you live. Do nothing from selfish ambition. Trying to get ahead for yourself. Trying to, trying to, trying to get what, what you think is yours. Or out of conceit, trying to show how you're a leg up on someone else. Do nothing from that. But in humility, count others as more significant. You, you know you can do this every, every day. You can end the day and you can ask the Holy Spirit, did I, did I count others more significant than myself today? Or was there a place where I didn't do that today? I assure you the Holy Spirit is very capable and will in fact do exactly that. Bring to mind places where that wasn't true. Or maybe places where that was true by God's grace. My question is, are you willing to do that? Are you convinced enough with what we've said so far that the, that the demand, the, the, the requirement of humility is so great that you're, that you're willing to do that? It's not a question whether God is going to answer you. It's a question whether you're willing, whether you're brave enough to walk into that space, to say, I, humility means enough to me. Being like Christ and his humility means enough to me that I will ask the question, did I count others more significant than myself today? Did I look out for others' interests just as much as my own? Children, uh, young people, like, like kids, listen. Listen. Are you listening? Kids. Like this plays out in your life all the time. I see a toy, they see a toy, we both want a toy. What's gonna happen? We had the, I, I mentioned this yesterday, we had these discussions when we lived in a motorhome for, I mean, we have them at home too, it's not just in a motorhome. But, but we, ha, we had to have these discussions. I wanna sit in that seat. I was sitting there, right kids? We had those exact discussions. And we looked at them, and Heidi, my wife and I looked at them and said, well who's gonna, who's gonna defer to the other? Who's going to count the other one more significant? We read these verses. We had come to Jesus' moments around this, these verse, this verse right here, actually. I remember sitting outside, or outside our motorhome, and we had just gone through a tough couple of days, and it felt like none of us were doing that. 
And we had what I call a come to Jesus moment where I read those verses and I said, we have to, we have, we have to get a hold of this. And I said, we're going to spend like five minutes totally quiet around this circle in our camping chairs. And we're all going to think, not how the others can do this, but how we're going to ask the Holy Spirit. We're all going to think, how can I do something differently? How can I make it so a week from today, my family members are going to look at me and say, that person was preferring others over himself or herself. That person, that child... My brother was, 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 was counting me more significant than, than himself. I saw it. And I said, we're going we're gonna to ask God directly for those things. Do you know what happened? What do you think happened? I mean, we weren't perfect angels. Don't get me wrong. But it changed. It changed, didn't it? It changed. Because our children were willing to engage and walk in that and say, you're right. We got a couple little notes. Sorry, Mom. Sorry, Dad, for how I've been acting. We saw evidence how they began to say, oh, you wanted that? You can have that. We weren't perfect. Don't get me wrong. But that's why I'm talking to children right now, because I know the adults will listen when I do that kind of stuff. <laughs> it's, it's like, it, it is so like right where we live our lives every single day. Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourself. Each of you should look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was, and you know the verses, we've been reading them, was equal with God, didn't consider that equal. You know the verses. The question is, will you honor Will you demonstrate a commitment to humility that says, I will love out of the humility that I am pursuing. I will serve out of the humility that I'm pursuing. I will honor out of the humility that I'm pursuing. I will uh, submit out of the humility that I'm pursuing. I think I'm still missing one. Forgive, thank you. I will forgive those that have wronged me out of the humility that I'm pursuing. That's what it means to have humility in our daily life. <laughs> you know the reality is, maybe not even, I mean, you might not even wait till tomorrow, but tomorrow morning you're going to wake up and you'll have opportunity to practice this and you'll get, you'll get a test. You'll get a test. Now, let me make one more I was going to say I can do this fairly quickly, but then you all just laugh at me because I rarely do anything very quickly. But let me make one more statement about how this works out because I know these kind of things. I know, what, I know how I am and I know how these things kind of, they, they tend to kind of settle in and they're like sobering and they're difficult because we see how, how high the bar is and enormous it is. And quite frankly, there's little pieces inside of us, which are still pride by the way, but little pieces inside of us that say, ah, that's just so restrictive and that's so heavy and it just, it's not that much fun. But I'd like to show you that when we begin to get a hold of what I think God is really trying to teach through the word of God about humility and becoming like Christ and uprooting and rooting out the pride, the seed of pride and putting in the, the root of Jesus Christ and his humility inside of us. When we begin to grasp that, I think we will see that there's a really strong connection between humility and true joy. 
Think about it this way. If I have really become nothing, then there's nothing that can touch me. If I have made my, and I shouldn't say if I've made myself because we're going to cover that in a couple days here. We don't make ourselves do anything. It's the Holy Spirit that changes us. But if I've allowed God to put his seed, his root inside of me of humility that comes up and I'm growing in Christ-likeness. And when things don't go my way, it doesn't touch me like it used to. When I serve others, it's actually a place of joy. I would submit to you, Jesus found great joy in serving. He wasn't like, oh, my father told me I again have to just like do this stuff, right? Like it wasn't him at all. Paul found that there's joy, true joy in going to the depths of true humility. Do you know how I know? Because he wrote that to us. If you open your Bibles to, or look in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians, he wrote this letter, his second letter. Now he's nearing to the end of all the things he's communicating to the Corinthians. And he begins to talk about, because he's just caught up a bit in this, this whole, like, you guys have these people you're following, and they're trying to set us up against them, and all this stuff is going on. And he's like, I can defend myself. I can tell you all the great things I did. I can show you how I'm a great apostle too. And I did all these things. And then he says, hold on, hold on, hold on. we got to talk about something, though. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he says this. In verse 7, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. You see, he's worried about pride and humility. That's exactly what he's talking about. Verse 8, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul said... Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, you might say to me, you're getting even more crazy, because first you said we should do all this stuff, and then you said it should actually bring joy to us. I would just like to put us to the test. Are we willing to try? Are we willing to take the Lord at his word? I can tell you our flesh, this is the, our flesh will resist it with everything it has because it does not seem according to the way of our flesh or the world that that's the path to joy. The problem with that is that the Bible says that the wisdom of the world is foolishness to God. I already read you those verses. That's why I did. So we can get to this point, and I can tell you, even though it seems contrary and the opposite of what you and I think would be true, this is precisely what God is telling us. If you are willing to plumb the depths of humility, you will find true joy in submitting, in honoring, in serving, in loving, in forgiving. Even when you are smarter, even when you do know more, even when you are holier, even when your life is more put together, even when you know a better way, and you might, that all those things might be true, that won't change the fact, because it will be your joy, because you've made yourself nothing before God that he may be everything. Paul said that. He said, I'm boasting all the more gladly in my weaknesses. What? <laughs> Friend, what will it take for you and I to get to that place? 
where we will say, I am content with weakness and hardship. What did he say? Persecution, insults. I am content with insults and calamities and difficulties. I'm content because I know that when I'm weak, that's when God is strong. Let me caution us. Let me caution us. We're going to deal with this a bit more in detail tomorrow night, I think. But let me caution us. The danger of pride is greater and nearer than we think. Pride lurks more deeply and more heavily than we think it does in us. When Paul wrote in the first Corinthian letter, let me just flip to this verse really fast. In chapter 10, he's warning them against idolatry. And he says, therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. You see, it's precisely in the moments when we are having victory, when God is doing great things through us, when, when we see the Holy Spirit moving and we're rejoicing and things are going so well, it is precisely those moments that we have to be aware that pride is greater and nearer than we think it is. Why else would Paul say, when this thorn in the flesh began to come, I pleaded God, take it away. I don't want it. I'm having these surpassing great revelations of greatness. I'm bringing thousands of people to Christ and planting churches, those kind of things. Why Take this away from me. Until Jesus came to him and helped him see that, no, 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 no. It's good for you, your humility to, be, to have this, this thorn, to have this thing that reminds you that you're weak, Paul. You're not everything you think you are. In fact, you're nothing without me. The danger of pride is greater and nearer than we think. But take heart, friends, I can tell you that the grace for humility is also greater and nearer than we think. His name is Jesus. He brings humility to us. Niall, thanks for reading those verses that the grace of God has appeared. I love those verses. I preached an entire revival meeting series out of those couple of verses right there in Titus chapter 2 because of what you just talked about, the grace of God. But look at these words put together. The grace for humility. Do you think being humbled is a grace? Do you think it's an act of grace? Now, I don't, I, you, you remember, you probably remember this moment not too long ago when your senior pastor came back from a long time away and then he walked up at the wrong time to go preach and everyone laughed at him, rightfully so. That was good for me. That was good for me. Because I need to be reminded that I don't have it all together. It's hard to have people laugh at you. It's hard to laugh at yourself sometimes. But it was good for me. You know, grace for humility in your life is also nearer than you think, and it's greater than you think. You know, right after Paul said that in verse, I read you verse 10, in, I'm sorry, verse 12 in 1 Corinthians 10, that you better be careful when you're standing. You know what he said right after that? Right after that, he says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So it comes twofold to you tonight as we close out, as, as I give you, as I exhort you to, to be willing to, 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 to test the deep waters of humility to find true joy, to recognize that as you begin to experience those, because I'm, I'm, I'm trusting, I know, I, I know the people that the Lord has given me the, the privilege of pastoring, that there are many of you, even leaps ahead of me, but there are many of you who are going to say, yes, I'm in. I want to grow in this. And as we begin to experience that, we may not forget, we dare not forget that pride is still there lurking, its ugly, evil head. But thankfully, the grace for humility is also right there too. And God is faithful to us.
And sometimes we can find joy in even being humbled a little bit by God to be reminded of this beautiful, beautiful promise that Jesus gives us. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. Once again, I ask you the question, do you really believe this? Do you believe that in your weakness and in your muddling and messing around and, and the obvious things that are not, that, that make it obvious that you don't have it all together, do you believe that Jesus' power is made perfect in that and that in fact, his grace is sufficient to walk you through those things? Until you do, you will not allow God's humility or God's humbling to do what it's going You will not pursue humility at all, in fact. Again, I, this, is not, this is not a theoretical or theological exercise, brothers and sisters. This is practical because I know how we are. We want to do everything we can to put our life together and make it so that none of you know what a mess I am inside. The anxieties I carry, the sins I have, the temptations I face, the places I've boggled it up. Which is the exact opposite of what a pursuit towards humility looks like? Do you and I really believe that Jesus' grace is absolutely sufficient for us, and when our weakness is made known, Jesus' power is made perfect. If so, we will stop hiding those weaknesses. We will stop pretending we have it all together. We will recognize that the real joy is going to come when we are honest about that, and we are humble about that, and we say, I am nothing. I am nothing. But Jesus is filling me and is changing me and is shaping me, and is making me into who he wants me to be. And that brings me joy. Thank you, God, this morning or this evening for your presence. And I thank you, as I often think, but I don't always say, but I thank you tonight that uh, even as I have tried to give compelling uh, statements from your word and have tried to exhort and have tried to, to uh, bring about... Uh, change or, or spur us on to deeper faithfulness, even as I try to do that, all of that falls so far short of what your Holy Spirit has the ability to do when you're here in this place. And so I thank you tonight. I don't know where this hits people, Father, but I know that you know. I don't know what or if anything is required of anybody sitting here tonight, but you know. You know whether there's someone who has to go apologize, whether there's someone who has to forgive, or there is someone who has to renew their, their uh, intention to serve someone in their life, either a spouse or a, uh, a family member or, some, or, or a coworker. You know, Father, whether there's some action that's needed to be taken by anyone. And I love this about you, God, that you are able at all times, uh, in all ways with all people here, to work at the same time with all of us. So I don't have to say each specific application. It would be impossible for me to do so but you're certainly capable. So what I'm praying for tonight as we close is that the grace for humility would be present and ready, moving in our hearts, leading us to a realization that it's actually, not only is it true, but it's how it should be for us to acknowledge our weakness, that you might bring your grace, your sufficient grace, and that you might bring your perfect power, that you might display who you are, in us 
more beautifully, more perfectly, more strongly. Thank you, Father. Lord, I pray tonight as well, as we close, I pray that uh, the things that you want us to be continuing to think about, that you would press them in our minds. Again, I don't, I don't make any assumptions about if or what those things are, but I just say it as a general statement for all of us. The things that you would like us to continue to think and dwell on and, and, and mull over and allow you to press into us, that, that you would do that out of your Holy Spirit's uh, favor and grace toward us. We've, we want to please you in Jesus' name. Amen.